everyone. We're here um, preparing for Parshat Lech Lecha, uh, which is a special Parsha that Kita Bet second grade spends quite a long time learning. And I think it's the first Parsha that they learn in Chumash. Um, I was fortunate enough to be able to grab Mora Zahava to hear a little bit about how she teaches uh, Parshat Lech Lecha to her students and gets them excited about Avraham and his, his journeys. Hi, Mora Zahava. Thanks for joining us. Hi. Thank you very much for inviting me. What can you tell us about teaching Parshat Lech Lecha to the children? So Parashat Lech Lecha is very close to my heart because I, I, when, I, when, I listen to Avraham, when I know what Avraham Avinu went through, even that they don't talk about his feeling in the Torah, I know exactly what he felt because I felt the same way. When did you feel that way? I felt the same way when I came to United States 30 years ago, mm. and it wasn't easy. Mm. I went through a lot, of, a lot of things. It wasn't easy to leave my family. It wasn't easy to uh, leave everything that I know, uh, every, all, all my friends, my, my good comfort place, and to go to a new place that you don't know the language, you don't know the people, you don't know what's going to happen, mm-hmm. and you don't know where you're going forward. So what would have what made it easier for you? What would have made you feel better? It will make me feel better if I have someone to help me here when I come. If I have someone that lives here and tell me everything that's going on here, even if I go to the supermarket or where I go to, to do something new, because everything was in the beginning 30 years ago, much different from Eretz Israel. Mm-hmm. You, is there any uh, memory or story you have for when I, you got here that was I have, different? I have, I have a very funny, I have a few stories. I have a very funny story that uh, when I went the first time on the bus, when I went the first time on the bus, I know that in Israel, when you want to go to get off the bus, you wait for the driver to open the door for you. And here I was going, I, I was pressing the stop and the bus stop. And then I'm going to the door and I'm waiting and the bus didn't open the door. Oh no. And I didn't understand what's going on here. And he, and he almost wanted to drive. And then I, and I called out, oh, stop, stop, open the door. And I knew that I have to push the door. Uh-huh. So I you have, were just waiting and waiting. Um, I have an, I had an, an, another nice story that, you know, this time, many years ago, I, we used to send a lot of letters and I went to the mailbox, the blue box, and I was looking five minutes around. I didn't know where to open the box. <laughs> Suddenly I found it inside that I have to push it. Yeah. And, so it's small things, but, but they give you big feelings when, right. when things are different and are uncomfortable. If parents at home want to teach their children how to welcome people who moved here from different countries, what... What could they do to, to teach children how to invite I people? See, I, or... I think in that situation, we have to be more sensitive. Me as a teacher, I have to be very sensitive to a child like that. Um, to, to, make him, to make him even a body part, to help him with the language, mm-hmm. uh, if he doesn't know the language. And I have experience of my daughter, that, she, that um, the teacher gave her to be, to be a body of a girl that came from Eretz Israel. Mm-hmm. So my daughter already know English better. Right. And, she said to, and she said to her, okay, Sharon, you're going to help this and this, by the, uh, and help her to, to, be, to feel comfortable in the classroom. So you use the buddy system if you see someone coming in new from a different school or especially from a different country who doesn't know the language. Right, Because exactly. you can empathize with them because right. of what you've been through. Because I, yeah. And also I, rem- I, remem- I remember a story of my daughter. I, want, I went with her one time to the park and she was four years old and a lot of children are playing 
And she said to me, Mommy, I really want to play with the girls, but I don't know how to speak to them. So I went to the girls and I told them, Girls, can you please join us and please help Moran to feel comfortable and to play with you? So that's what I'm going to tell the children, to be sensitive and to be friendly and to help this child and be together all the time. I think, Mara, you've hit on a very important point message for parents though a lot happens at the park and I know sometimes as a parent you know you sit down on the bench and you think you have a few minutes maybe to check your text messages or something but the truth is there's a lot of learning that goes on at the park and having adults be aware and just seeing you know maybe not on top of the children you want to give them a chance to be a little independent but just being mindful of how they're getting along or how they're feeling um, especially with the other children I think I think that's a very important um, message for parents you know when you prepare to teach Parsha Lech Lecha what kind of fun activities do you plan to do with the with the children I know they're not starting until um, December they're obviously learn it in Parsha HaShavuah but um, in terms of learning it in Chumash it's the first parsha they're learning, and so what are some fun things that you start out with them? I, I like to give the children the, their own experience as if they were a part of the parasha. And uh, I tell the children when they sit on the carpet, I want them to feel like they were there and they are like doing something like Avraham Avinu. And I tell the children, Yiladim, bevakasha, please stand up, we are going. So I'm taking the children around the hallway and I'm taking them around and they start to ask me questions, Morazava, where are we going? Morazava, why now? Do we have special? Morazava, do we go to, to recess? Morazava, where are we going? And I'm, do, and I'm not answering. And then I come back to the classroom and I tell them, Yiladim, bevakasha, please sit down. And they are sitting. And now I, tell them, and now I ask them, how do you feel? And they said to me, we were excitement, we were afraid, we were surprised, we didn't know where we were going, we didn't know what's going to happen, where are you taking us, all kind of answers. And then I tell them, Yildim, so what do you think Avraham felt when mm. Hashem told him, go, leave your place, leave your land, leave your homeland, leave your country, leave your dad and mom and everything that you know, and go to a dif- different place. Mm-hmm. What did he feel? And when I and I put them in the same situation of Avraham Avinu, mm-hmm. and I feel that when you give the children the experience of that, that they they learn in the way that they are there, mm-hmm. they remember it for all their life. What a powerful way to help them empathize with how Avraham felt. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we are going to learn in our table talk, please look out for the table talk this week, about how Avraham has a lot of empathy. And I was thinking as you're talking, maybe Avraham has a lot of empathy because he knows what it feels like to be a little bit uncomfortable, just like you, Mara. Yeah. You're a sensitive teacher because you knew what it, what, what it felt like to be disoriented and in a different place. For me, for, for me, for me it's a, I'm very close to this parasha because it was my own experience. And the lesson that I'm, I'm going to give the children from this parasha is that um, to always walk. Don't stop. Don't, don't stop. Even every Jewish person has to continue walking. When you do something, don't think it's enough. Continue. Continue walk. Continue do better. And that's what I'm going to teach the children. And that's the lesson of the parasha because you take your challenges and you take your, you take your, you take your I'm sorry, you take your strengths yeah. and you... You, you, you hold them and you continue walking. That's what I did when I came here. You it moved w- forward. I, w- I moved forward. I knew that it's going to be better. Mm-hmm. And I knew that it's going to be good. Mm-hmm. And when I look at myself today, 
I know that it was a good decision because I'm looking at my family and at my children mm-hmm. where they are now and they're educated and they're happy Beautiful. that's what good for me and mm-hmm. me it's it was like maybe a mission that they sent Hashem sent me here to teach children Ivrit absolutely where would we be without you Marzahava well Todaraba thank you for joining us thank and for talking v- about your favorite parsha thank you very much we are so fortunate to have you teaching this parsha to our children when they learn it for the first time don't forget to print your table talk wishing everybody a Shabbat Shalom Shabbat It's Monday night, and we have Yeshiva High School Information Night starting. I'm going to try to grab a few high school principals of schools where our students go to after Yeshiva Hartora, um, and we can talk about some of the values, the shared values that we have, and see those values carry on as students go to high school. Check out our table talk, Parsha Vayera, this week discussing the legacy of Avraham and the importance of carrying on his legacy to his children and how that is central to the Jewish people. Sitting here with Mrs. Karen Simon and um, a visiting coach, uh, Cindy Cruz, uh, preparing for Parshat Chaye Sarah, where we learn that Rivka is chosen as the wife of Yitzchak because of how she welcomes Eliezer into her community. Now, Cindy's here helping us develop in our social and emotional learning, and community building and how we welcome people into our community is really very critical to that. Um, I'd like to welcome you, Cindy, to Yeshiva Torah. Thank you. How's your day been so far? It's been wonderful, seeing all the kids and watching the teachers and just being able to have really great conversations. Mm-hmm. Yes, I've been walking around with Cindy today, and she's getting a perspective of our school, and we've been walking into classrooms and giving teachers feedback and meeting with teachers about the social-emotional components of their classrooms. And it's been very nice to have a fresh set of eyes seeing our wonderful school, and she's been very pleased with what she has seen. Cindy's been in many schools, and she likes being here at Yeshiva Hartova with us. That's so nice to hear. You know, we are spending the year, as I mentioned to you, um, working on empathy training with children. Why is that something that's important? So research shows that when we work on um, integrating and learning social-emotional skills, that there's less violence, less bullying, um, but also the opposite of that, it actually helps to increase achievement. Um, that children learn how to do that perspective taking so they can kind of put themselves in the shoes of another, which really helps and translates into literature, helping them to understand the uh, meaning behind the story um, and really helping to think critically. So that really helps in a lot of different areas. Mm-hmm. What's a, an, a very like small example you could give us of, of something that you would see in a classroom where a teacher would take an opportunity to extend the learning for a child in terms of empathy. Right, so just having them understand in the beginning of the year, I noticed um, here at the school, you worked with creating those rules together and being a part of that creation process helps children to really own the rules. Mm-hmm. But then having the teacher respond and, and really look back to those rules and being able to say, the way you were talking today helped us all as learners. So they understand that it is a whole community of learners and wanting to really help students to see those connections. I kind of see it like, 
we have a lot of dots and the teachers are connecting those dots mm -hmm. and giving them lifelong skills in the process because this is the way we want our kids to be. Mm -hmm. So this morning, Cindy, we were in a classroom and children were working collaboratively and really being facilitated by the teacher in a, it was actually a social studies activity. So how do you, how did you notice where the empathy training had been in order to make that classroom work as smoothly as it did. I think you know which classroom I'm talking about. Yes, it was really interesting because there was a lot of collaborative conversations and we know that's when we learn the best is when we have dialogue, but that can be tricky with students because how do they, how do they learn to listen to each other, how to wait, how to interject their thoughts. And it seemed almost seamless today as I was watching yeah. and, and, learn, and listening. And you know, they, there was the appropriate noise level, there was that turn taking that was listening and their thoughts that they were sharing were just amazing and that is all a part of really having the opportunity to practice those skills in advance it looked so easy when we were in the room it, yeah. and we debriefed afterwards with the teacher and two other teachers who came along with us to the visit and actually when we heard about the behind the scenes and the amount of time that the teacher spent preparing for that seamless class so we were in the room for 20 minutes and what what do you estimate was the amount of time that teacher took to prepare for those 20 minutes? Well, I'm sure just for that lesson, so that she put hours into the lesson, just preparing the questions, reading the text. But beyond that, I'm sure these first six weeks of school, she spent a lot of time really making sure that they understand voice level, turn taking, and really that whole process. It doesn't happen by accident. So kind of setting up a community of learners. Mm -hmm. So do people learn best in groups or alone or a combination? What would you say? So yeah, the research on that um, shows that we are social beings. We, we are created to be in community. And so when we can help students to be able to navigate that, that's something they have to learn. How do I um, listen to someone else? Where do my eyes go when somebody's speaking? You know, um, even turning your body when somebody's speaking is really important. Mm -hmm. Gestures are important, just like you're nodding your head now. <laughs> Those are the things that are so small, and but yet children need to know these little details. Mm -hmm. And you know, that goes on throughout their life. They mm -hmm. learn these skills now, and this helps them even in their jobs later on. Because, you know, you can be super smart and really, you could have all the makings of being a rocket scientist, but you can't build a rocket ship by yourself. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to work with others, mm -hmm. so. Mm -hmm. That's what I really love about the turn and talk is because all the students want to say something about a question. And if a teacher just calls on like one student to answer, it's a missed opportunity for the rest of the mm -hmm. students to have like a dialogue. So I think that technique is really very powerful. I'd like to turn the conversation actually to something um, not, as, not as happy as classroom communities. Unfortunately, um, as a school community, we have spent some time thinking about how to grapple with a very terrible tragedy that happened in the Jewish community um, this past week. And we had sent home some important pointers for parents, but I was wondering as somebody who works with children in social emotional learning, if you have any, any sort of um, you know, pointers or advice for parents um, about you know, things that might come up at home. Mm -hmm. with this tragedy. So I think part of that is just making sure that they feel safe. Um, and I know the school is doing that in just the community that they have here. But opportunities for children to be able to talk about how they're feeling mm -hmm. and for us to be able to comfort them and just make sure that 
um, we have those opportunities. I think sometimes even just reading books mm -hmm. can be really helpful because they can really listen to how a character might feel mm -hmm. and talk about that character and it's a lot safer than um, sometimes maybe not how they feel themselves. They may not even know how they feel. They may act in a certain way because they're feeling a little bit on edge, just mm -hmm. like we do. Mm -hmm. You know how we kind of get on edge and, and then we act, react in certain ways. Kids do that too. So really making sure that our routines are the same, but also we have that extra chance to just kind of give conversations and opportunities for kids to talk. Mm -hmm. So kind of taking the pressure off of talking about their own feelings and talking about a different character. Is there any book you would recommend? Um, that might help parents or just kind of use whatever their comfortable favorite books are at this time. Yeah, I'd have to think about that one just to think about which ones would be the best ones to use. But I, I know that there are several books um, and maybe I could even give you some to put on your website. That would be great. So, yeah. Okay, excellent. Um, is there anything else you'd want to share with our parent body? I just think it's fabulous that you're working together because I think it's really important for social emotional learning to happen. It needs to be collaborative, meaning that the community, the school, at home, with parents, there are so many opportunities for this to be integrated within the the whole the whole child. So I think about it as teaching the whole child. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. and uh, we certainly do view that partnership as essential mm -hmm. uh, for our students. Cindy, thank you for visiting. Our tour yeah. today. Thank you, Karen Simon, for joining us today and uh, wishing everybody a Shabbat Shalom. Okay. Sitting in school preparing for Parshat Toldot, um, it's quite a profound Parsha when it comes to siblings and twins in particular. Um, I was fortunate enough to pull parent S.D. Shore parent of Ezra in nursery, Charlie in second grade, and twins, Johnny and Andy in fifth grade. And I was wondering if she could help us a little bit um, to think about twins and what it's like to parent twins. Great, thank you so much for this opportunity. Uh, this Parsha in particular is very, very meaningful uh, Parsha for our family, specifically, of course, because it's about twins and there are some complex lessons or challenges about parenting um, in this Parsha. Um, but my, yes, uh, I do have twins, Andy and Johnny, fifth graders here at Yeshiva Hartora, and uh, would love to compare and contrast with you a little bit. Yeah, what's, what's your twin story and your family in general? Okay, well, so we have twins, Andy and Johnny, and uh, they share cousins that are twins, two sets of cousins that are twins. So my mother-in-law, Baruch Hashem, uh, of, with her three children has three sets of twins, which oh. is remarkable and wonderful. So twins are not like new to you? Nope, we're, no. we're very comfortable with the concept and it was something that I davened for and was so happy. <laughs> okay, well, your tefillot were answered. Absolutely. So do you notice a difference between the twins with each other and their other siblings or parenting, is it different at all with twins? So having twins, um, first of all, they, they were my first, um, David and myself. Um, and uh, it's funny because when they were born, people used to ask us all the time, oh my gosh, it must be so difficult having <laughs> twins, two newborns. And I used to say, I don't know any different. Um, <laughs> then I got smart and figured out, <laughs> yeah, it's much harder. Um, but of course, as they've grown, it's been I mean, the most wonderful and rewarding experience parenting twins, um, but also watching them and the bond that they have 
thank God all my boys enjoy a really beautiful bond as brothers, um, but there's nothing that compares to the bond uh, that I see between them. Mm -hmm. So that is a beautiful thing to think about. Unfortunately, in our Parsha, we see that the twin story doesn't go so well, and I hope everybody will check out their table talk um, featuring Rabbi Hirsch, who says, who's actually pretty pretty hard on on Rivka and Yitzchak, uh, frankly, and their parenting, and almost blames them for how Asaph turned out. You know, how does that how does that feel to you as a parent of twins? So it's interesting. So with the Parsha, of course, that's a very, I think, a very radical uh, thought that, you know, Asaph turned out the way he turned out because of how they parented. I think it's pretty clear. I thought always thought it was pretty clear that Asaph was destined to be the way he is. Um, and uh, but of course, sibling rivalry. Uh, of course, we have it in the earliest story from Adam and Chava and their children. Yeah. But uh, sibling rivalry is a very strong theme, and of course, it's a, a theme in my house uh, sometimes too. Um, but the thing that I've always struggled with um, in this particular parsha um, was some things that happened along the way as they parented um, Esav and Yaakov. In particular, the concepts that Torah is so clear about playing favorites. Um, <laughs> it specifically said that Esav was one favorite and um, and Yaakov was the other. And uh, I, I, it's hard to reconcile that. And of course, comparisons. They mm-hmm. couldn't be more different. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, these are you know traits that as parents we're taught constantly <laughs> to avoid avoid playing mm-hmm. favorites and avoid comparing children. Mm-hmm. And I knew that that was something early on that I was, I always knew because I had twins, I had to be careful not to compare them uh-huh. because they, my children, Anthony and Johnny, are so incredibly unique in their own very special ways. Um, but the, the lesson I took out from the Parsha really was that playing favorites and making comparisons, this spin on that is really to... Um, look at the uniqueness of each uh, child, whether they're twins or not, but in, definitely uh, for twins. Um, and really, sometimes it might feel to the children like you're playing favorites, but really you're just you know emphasizing or highlight some really extraordinary qualities that exist in one kid. Mm-hmm. Um, but always making sure to look at those special qualities in the other kid right. as well. So it's interesting because Yitzchak did clearly see special qualities in Esav. Absolutely. I guess it's hard to think of as a mom that, you know, Rivka might not have appreciated or recognized that. So yeah, it's interesting. I always, and I always think about that, you know, in terms of um, the relationship Esav had with his father, that his, there, there was redeeming qualities to Esav. There mm-hmm. had to have been for one of our avos to favor mm-hmm. Esav uh, the way that he did. Um, and I think it's a lesson for all parents about looking for that good in the child, mm-hmm. um, even when it's a particularly challenging or demanding child, there is always something incredible. Um, and and Esav's father saw that, and I think uh, what better example to us as parents uh, than to look at that one. Right. And I think, you know, obviously we look to the Avot and Imahot and, and we respect them and, and their role models to us. And also it's unique that we learn from their mistakes. And that's that's definitely part of our um, tradition. Is there any other advice you'd have for parents? Because whether you have twins or not, you know, sibling oh rivalry <laughs> is, uh, I think, something that we all struggle with and, and try to work on. 
I'm not sure I'm one to give parenting advice, but I think it's really is looking at the special and unique qualities in your children, um, mm -hmm. the way that we learn from this Parsha, um, and giving, I, I think, giving your children the confidence um, by doing that. Mm -hmm. And also teaching a lesson to your other children that it's okay um, to be different from the siblings, and it's okay that when one is better at one particular sport or skill than the other, these are life lessons that are very important to learn and uh, I think that Parsha does it and hopefully we took something out of it uh, to learn that today. Right it's interesting because you know the Rabbi Hirsch that I did put on the table talk is even much longer and he talks about how the scene at Yaakov's death is actually very different. He recognizes each of his 12 sons as being very special and unique and he singles each one out mm -hmm. with a particular bracha and it's really quite in contrast to what happened you know with the whole mess with the brachot in this week's parsha because he gave uh, one intended for one child and didn't know who he was giving it to while Yaakov's death he's like thinking about each one and says something specific mm -hmm. to them and, mm -hmm. and Rabbi Hirsch does make a contrast with that so that's very excellent advice in the same in the same commentary where he talks about the mistakes he he points out you know how important it is to recognize each child is unique and um, certainly, you know, eliminating competition at home and, and not necessarily even, even recognizing uniqueness, but being careful about what you publicize. You know, some students, you know, some children's becoming, being a student is easy and, and for some it's not. And so exactly. giving everyone a special place is important. Um, I really appreciate you joining us today. Thank you. This is being fabulous. Being on the podcast. <laughs> and um, please remember to print your table talk. Shabbat shalom. As we prepare for Parshat Vayishlach and Thanksgiving, um, I'm privileged to be sitting here with Esther Gerson, an alumni parent. So tell us about your graduates. Oh, we had two daughters who attended Yeshiva HaTorah. Our eldest, Kaylee, was there, and she's uh, married with two children in Woodmere, and she's an occupational therapist with special needs children. Um, and she had an amazing experience at the school, and our daughter, Dana, attended as well and um, she is now 23 and in dental school in the University of Maryland and we do attribute a lot of their success um, as women, as no Torah, um, and as scholars to their days in Yeshiva Torah. Um, all of their teachers gave them a tremendous love of Yahadu. Anyone stand out? Oh yeah. Still, who's still in school? Yeah we do. Let's see. Um, we have Karen Simon taught uh, Dana math, that was her first love of math, and really got her to think about math in different ways. And Rev Silverman taught her Ivrit, um, and Miss Cotman taught her science, and that was definitely a strong foundation for dental school and her love of science. Um, so yeah, there we have a lot of great memories from her Torah. So very very grateful. See uh, Thanksgiving, Perfect very timing. thankful for all that our Torah gave us to our daughters and to our family. So in our parsha this week, Yaakov is afraid. He's fearful. He's walking into the unknown when he's going to greet Esav. And I think sometimes when people come from a different country, they come with some some fear. Um, what does that bring up for you um, when it? You know, you've talked to me about your parents before coming to America. Tell me about that. 
Yeah, both my parents were immigrants, uh, originally from Poland, and then uh, they spent time in, after the war in Germany, and then immigrated to the United States, and um, they were very brave, so I don't know if they focused so much on the fear, but they had to be afraid. I mean, um, it was a new country, they didn't speak English, uh, starting from scratch, um, but they really taught us about overcoming challenges, and they did. They came with nothing, and they managed to make a success of their lives and uh, raise a wonderful family. So, what what struggles and triumphs do do you recall from uh, when they came here? So I was actually born in their later years, um, but. My dad wouldn't talk so much about, not about the years in the camps and not so much about the early experiences, but my mom was chatty, like me. <laughs> and um, she, would, she would tell us stories about the early years. Um, it was a little hard initially as immigrants. Not all of the neighbors were so accepting, um, and that took a while. Um, but they had a tremendous love for the country and a tremendous appreciation for for everything that they were able to accomplish here. So even though it was hard, they had a lot of gratitude. Absolutely. And how did that how did that come out for them on Thanksgiving? <laughs> um, so, you know, I think a lot of survivors really relish the joy of all the Chagim, you know, being alive and celebrating every milestone. Um, but Thanksgiving had a very special place in our family as well. Uh, my mom always bought the turkey in advance and uh, was kind of a known thing. You came to the house for Thanksgiving. Everybody could drive and travel and it made it more accessible. Um, but she was very vocal and very vehement about her belief that America is an amazing country and that being allowed into the country. And she was she was grateful. I mean, it was the real essence of Thanksgiving. She was always appreciative of having opportunities here. And she felt that anybody who came to America and who put in work and had a little bit of mazel, you know, as she'd call it, could be anything, could achieve anything. Um, and, and that was a message that I think we absorbed and our, we try to transmit to our children and even to the next generation. It's a great message. So what was Thanksgiving like when she pulled it together? So funny enough, she owned, um, they owned a milkshake restaurant and um, never cooked milkshakes at home. We always had flayshakes, but turkey was reserved for Thanksgiving. <laughs> that was, that was it. Um, and, you know, she had her set menu and we always set the table. Um, and you, the feeling of thanks was palpable. You could really sense that it wasn't a meal that you just took for granted. There was a lot of history that went into this. And to achieve that milestone, and if you were around the table, you sensed it was special, it was different. And I think it was the immigrant experience and everything that brought them to that moment that made it feel so powerful. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, as you're going into Thanksgiving now, mm -hmm. when, do you, when you put things together for Thanksgiving, are you thinking about her? Are you remembering her? I do, I do. Um, you know, it's a funny story and it's almost bittersweet, but, you know, she was so, getting that turkey was so important. The year that she actually passed away uh, was October, but she already had that turkey in the freezer for oh Thanksgiving. My. You know, it was something else. And we all came back to the apartment and prepared the turkey. It was very bittersweet. Yeah. Um, but it really was a tribute to her life and how Thanksgiving was important and the message that it sent. 
Um, so it, like it was a bittersweet moment, but you felt her presence and you felt their presence the most mm-hmm. at that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something that I carry with me all the time. Like we love Thanksgiving. The kids love Thanksgiving. They all get into it. Even the grandkids I love now, they come home with their decorations mm-hmm. from school. And it's, it's just watching the next generation celebrate, um, you know, being proud to be American, proud to be American Jews. Um, you know, it's a great meal, a lot of good food. And again, the whole history of the restaurant and the cooking and the love of cooking is, is all in there. But the message, um, you know, will always remain with me that way. So to her very last day, she was grateful and planning for Thanksgiving, really. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we all sat there and said, here's to you, Ma. <laughs> you know, we, we, we enjoyed the moment. So she really is like Yaakov, who even though he went through hardships, he was always grateful. And at the end of his life, you know, you kind of envision his children all around him. And uh, he recognizes all of them. Um, but in this Parsha, we're still focused on his fear. But it's really beautiful to hear about your mother. Is there anything else you'd like to share with us, perhaps in regards to, to uh, our graduates? Yeah, well, some, a great warm regards to Yeshivar Torah. A special shout-out to Rabbi Menchel. Um, for, always has a special place in our hearts. Um, and uh, a real thanks to the school and it's so great to see the school success and the growth and the growth of the West Hempstead community as part of the school and all this West Hempstead talent like yourself oh, thank you. <laughs> um, making the school what it is um, and we should just have lots to be thankful for and we should always have lots to be thankful for and we get to share hopefully many Thanksgivings and meals around the table together and uh, lots of good times. Amen. Thank you so much. Don't forget to print your table talk. Shabbat Shalom. As I was preparing the table talk for Parshat Vayeshev, I really felt that we needed a psychologist to help us here. Um, We have Yosef, the brothers, um, some hatred. So I'm here with Dr. Karen Feinberg, the Director of Psychology Services at Yeshiva Har Torah. Thank you for joining us. You're very welcome. It's my pleasure to be here. I've been waiting to be on a podcast. I'm so excited and so nervous. <laughs> well, <laughs> no need to be nervous. Um, we just, we want to we learn from you because this Parsha, I think, sometimes raises a lot of feelings for people, either about their own families growing up or about, you know, for parents in terms of parenting siblings. So let's get right to it. Sibling rivalry. What what advice do you have for parents out there? Well, first of all, sibling rivalry is inevitable. Every family, every place, there is sibling rivalry. It's just a, a known fact and just accept it. So we shouldn't beat ourselves up? Don't beat yourself up. And just to, to give a little bit of a personal spin, when my kids, I have three daughters, when they were growing up, they fought like cats and dogs, like maybe some of your kids do, but now they are the best of friends. They speak to each other all the time. They support each other. So there is light at the end of the There's tunnel. Hope. There is hope. There is no way. So that's good to hear that it's inevitable. Um, so what should parents do when kids are fighting or jealous of each other, angry? What, what right. should we do? Well, the first thing, and this might be counterintuitive, is to not get involved, to stay back, to let them fight it out. Of course, if they're being physical, if they're hurting each other, that's a whole different ball game. But otherwise, if they're arguing, if they're jealous about something, if they both want the same thing, if they're arguing over the TV time or screen time or whatever, stay out of it. 
You shouldn't be like the judge. Shouldn't be mediator. the judge. Shouldn't be the mediator. Just let them figure it out. So they're screaming at each other. What like when what what would happen? It like it just unfolds, they it, yell at each other. Uh-huh. And they're gonna learn. They're gonna learn how to get along. They're going to learn how to figure things out. They're going to learn conflict resolution. And sometimes you might help have to help them with the conflict conflict resolution, help them hear each other's side. But on the whole, kids learn a lot from sibling rivalry. They learn how to deal with power struggles and they learn how to manage conflicts and how to resolve situations and how to be assertive, how to stand up for, for themselves. Mm-hmm. They learn compromise, they learn to negotiate, they learn how to take another person's perspective, which I know we're talking about empathy the we entire are, year. All year. And, and we talked about at the beginning of the year about um, emotional empathy and cognitive empathy, taking mm-hmm. another's perspective, that's part of empathy. And they learn how to develop a thicker skin, and that's right. really important through life. All of these skills are mm-hmm. such important ones. So they'll, they'll learn it. So I think parents sometimes feel like a pressure, like they have to do something. And you're saying the best thing to do here is to do less. Exactly. And sometimes that's harder to do less mm-hmm. than to do anything else. Mm-hmm. Because when your kid's fighting and they're driving you crazy and your head is pounding, all you want to do is stop it. Mm-hmm. But they're going to learn a lot more learning how to stop it themselves mm-hmm. and negotiate it themselves than you intervening. And when you intervene, then what happens? Sometimes one kid feels they're your favorite, or sometimes one kid always depends on you to be the one that protects them, and then they don't learn how to protect right. themselves. You're not going to always be there, and they're not cultivating that independence exactly. in terms of conflict resolution. Exactly. Okay, so parents shouldn't get involved in fighting necessarily, but you know why do kids fight? Like, what causes it? Lots of different things. Sometimes they want parents' attention. Sometimes they just want to feel the power. Sometimes they're bored and they just start want up. to interact. They start up <laughs> with each other because they have nothing else to do. Um, sometimes they don't know how to connect. They don't have the language to connect with their siblings, mm-hmm. so they just start up with them because that's how they are connecting with that uh, sibling. Sometimes if they're tired and cranky and they that's start true. to fight. Which is part of life. I think sometimes kids get angry because they perceive that like their siblings are treated differently than them. And sometimes parents know what, you know, different kids need different things, but how do you how do you navigate that where, you know, I know depending on ages, maybe you could tell us developmentally. I know a lot of kids are just very obsessed with fairness. Like right. what's and that's fair? school age is really obsessed with fairness. And it's a hard thing to negotiate. It's really a hard balance, but I think the important thing is for the culture of the family to be that we are fair in our family, everybody gets what they need. Mm-hmm. Fair does not mean equal. It doesn't mean that I give you exactly the same thing as everybody else, as your siblings, but I give you what you need, and I give your sibling what they need. And it might be different, and you mm-hmm. might need help during math, and your sibling might need help during language arts, and they might need more help than you. Just like one child might be wearing glasses, and that's what he needs, and you don't need that. Mm-hmm. So I think being fair but not equal is a really important cultural family family trait but but how do you have open conversations about that without let's say embarrassing a a child in front of their siblings like let's say one child really has a hard time navigating their anger and maybe a parent has a little more space for them with that and other siblings might be like well that's not fair you would you would have sent me to my room if I did that like what's the language a parent could use in that situation right so it, it depends on each each child and each family with some families I think you can just be really open about it say you know what 
Um, Karen has a hard time with anger, so we, I have to help her with that. But you know what? Sometimes you need help with different things, and I help you with that. And I think the culture of mm -hmm. discussing it. Sometimes, though, if you have a child that's going to be very upset if you talk about it, you might just do it. And kids pick up on nonverbal cues as mm -hmm. much as they pick up on verbal cues. Right. Sometimes just having family meetings, like once a, once a week, and let's discuss things. Mm -hmm. It's really having a family culture mm -hmm. that supports giving children what they need. Mm -hmm. So when we look at our Parsha, you know, we, we respect our Avot and Imahot a lot. And we also are encouraged to, by Mepharshim and Chazal, to learn from their mistakes. I think it's very interesting that Yaakov's father Yitzchak loved Esav. And he, he knows what it feels like to have someone else be favored, yet he chooses a favorite for himself. You know, do parents sometimes repeat mistakes that they grew up with? I think parents do sometimes repeat mistakes, and I think we very much are products of our own family of origin. And even what we say when kids are fighting, sometimes you hear your own parent in your head when you are talking to your, yes. your child. So I think what we have to do is we really have to reflect on our own family of origins, origin, and say what, was, what worked well, what's psychologically healthy, and what things didn't work so well. What are things that I want to do going forward? And what are things I don't, I want to do differently? And that's really a conscious decision mm -hmm. that good parents make mm -hmm. because it's very easy to fall into the, I wouldn't say trap, but into doing th the role of doing things exactly like your family did. It might not be the best thing. Right. I do like how you say examine because there are many things that for most of us we're very good about our childhood and we could say okay that was good but say hmm like about some things I want to do that differently but it's it's definitely a conscious choice I think we definitely you know fall back on what what we're familiar with so that's very helpful you know we're doing some work in school with our students in terms of empathy training coming up um is there anything you would want to share with us? I know the psychology team is starting to plan uh, some going into classes to work on empathy. So what, what do you have, or is it a surprise? Um, we're going to surprise. We're still working on it, but we're looking at different grade levels, doing things that are appropriate for their grade. Um, there are different types of empathy. There's the cognitive empathy, which is perspective taking, and then there's the emotional piece where you really feel like the other person feels. Mm -hmm. and. Um, I think we're going to try to hit a little bit of both, but we also want the feeling piece because mm -hmm. we do a lot with reading expressions, but we don't always get to the gut, mm -hmm. and we want to help the children to actually feel what another the, person what another would feel. Feels. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be very helpful. We talk a lot on our podcast about how working at home and school on the same values is important. So when we do get to the classroom soon, we'll probably send home pointers and ideas um, to parents. Definitely. Um, maybe even some pictures. Some pictures, too. Okay. Is there anything else you want to share with our parents? Uh, no, this was uh, not as anxiety-provoking as I thought it would be. <laughs> Coming this from a psychologist. <laughs> you are a wonderful interviewer. Thank so you for thank joining you. us and sharing um, your insights and advice to parents. I know we all struggle with how to make everybody at home feel like they're important and valued and not in competition with their siblings. Um, don't forget to print up your table talk. Wishing everybody a Shabbat Shalom.